For as long as I can remember, I have been enthralled by documentaries. You got to go back a ways, but when I was a little kid, and all the way to around uh, my mid-teen years, when I started making TV choices of my own, my parents dictated everything that I watched, and to them, uh, they wanted the safest entertainment possible. That could come by way of Disney, that would come by way of the religious movies that they would make me watch, that would come by way of documentaries. If National Geographic had its stamp on it, it was okay for me to watch. And so during the times when they were off doing their thing, they were hanging out with friends and entertaining, they would sit me in front of the computer and again, as long as it had a documentary label on it, I was allowed to watch it. So from the Egyptian pharaohs to National Geographic presents, uh, you know, the Serengeti, uh, anything that was about our earth or our culture, or our society, but was pro provided to us in documentary form, um, I would watch it, uh, uh, you know, on end. Eventually, when it came to mid-teens, I switched for a little while, and at that point, it was the Beverly Hills 90210s and the Melrose Place, the Blossoms, um, the X-Files. That was all my entertainment, but always in the background, there was excitement whenever a documentary would come about uh, and I would get the opportunity to learn about something new that I had never that I didn't know about before and it came by way of television. Even just a few weeks ago I was watching uh, I think it's called LA 92 and it's a documentary about Los Angeles and our sad relationship with the police department here the LAUSD and how after the Rodney King beating uh, the city basically exploded. But what I didn't realize as I was watching that is that we had had this issue before. The, uh, Watts had become an issue. And prior to that, there were other riots. And prior to that, there were other riots. Because again, it's a cycle. And so every single time that I've watched anything on policing, I've come to understand that this is a problem buried way far deep back. In, into our DNA as a country here. The reason why I'm telling you guys about documentaries is because I realize as of late that unconsciously I've been showing them to my children more and more. It isn't something that I sit them down to watch. I haven't found anything necessarily that I tell them, hey, you really have to watch this. It's more of I'm the parent at home, uh, and as I am making dinner, as I'm, uh, you know, cleaning around the house, whatever, I usually will have a documentary about something that I'm interested in, and I will have it in the background, and they can come and they go. They either have their switch on, or they're reading a book, they'll sit right next to me, and we'll be watching a documentary together. Now, yesterday, by as a lark, we had just gone for a long walk. I had taken to the neighbor's pool. They were tired and, and they just wanted to have lunch and hang out. And for whatever reason, because I probably, because marketing works, I had seen a documentary that Apple TV has about dads. And I just turned it on. And we all, well, I started watching it. And all of a sudden I saw that my son pause, whatever he was doing, uh, and just kind of got under his blanket, started watching with me. And then my daughter came into the room eventually, and she started watching with us. 
And a funny thing happened, I, I guess because I'm an old softie, that uh, I think it was Ron Howard was talking and trying to answer the question about what is a father. Uh, and the men in the documentary were trying to, were struggling with that answer because there's so many facets of fatherhood and what it is that we do that I kept on getting choked up. I mean, it wasn't the full-on tears, but even if it was, it would have been all right. But I, I was getting choked up about their struggle for answers because I, I was trying to find an answer myself, and I could not find one. Not one that, you know, was a, a, that explained everything, that it encompasses all the things that I do. And as they struggled, I struggled in my mind, and it's one of those fun sadnesses that some you sometimes get where you're so overwhelmed by feeling that you cry, but you don't cry because you're unhappy. You cry just because you're overwhelmed. And my son noticed, and he's seen me cry before because I'm a crier. <laughs> and my son noticed, and he asked me, well, what was it like the first moment you you knew about me? Or, or Actually, no, sorry. How did mom tell you? And I looked at him, and I could just not hold back, just the overwhelming feeling of what it was to have my wife uh, at the front door of our home as I had just gone to run an errand and come back and walking in and her saying, I think we're going to be parents or something along those lines. I just know the feeling was, this is the most amazing thing that I have ever done with someone and being overpowered and overtaken. And as I was trying to share that with my son, I just, again, I couldn't help myself. I so to a certain degree, I couldn't even get the words out because I was so happy to be sharing that with him and the fact that the documentary had sparked that question from him. And it wasn't the only one. As we watched more and more, um, more peppering of questions came throughout. And even his sister, when she joined us, she started getting into it. And so we had a quick conversation about fatherhood and my experiences with it and also how they saw themselves as children and, and their father and, and, and how they might deal with all of my, uh, the, the amazing things that I am for them, but also all of my foibles, which there are a lot. It was a wonderful moment. But I realized that as I talked with them, as I talked to them about other things, that they have been picking up all of the different, um, all of the different cues that I've inadvertently have put in their heads because of the things that I watch, the things that I consume, the things that I share. We talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about reaping what you sow, and, and this is a continuation, I suppose, of that. And so I wanted to discuss this concept with you guys, some you know, those who are, of you who are parents and those who are thinking about being parents, is the we live in a world now where we are being leaned on, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but we are being leaned on to be our parents' teachers. And I've heard a lot of, I'm sorry, being our kids' teachers, and I've heard a lot of adults that have kids who say, I don't know how to be my kid's professor. And I think the reason why we get caught in, in that mode of thinking is because we feel that we need to recreate the classroom that our children are part of every single day. And if you go about it that way, then the answer will be yes. You won't be able to match it. These teachers 
are trained professionals, regardless of what you may think of them, they are trained professionals who are, who have strategies, who study how to teach, and who implement uh, a curriculum for our kiddos. That's what they get paid to do. Well, there's a ton of debates of whether it's right or it's wrong. They're teaching the right thing. They're, they're, they're not. But the, at the end of the day, they are a heck of a lot more trained than you and I are. And that's why we entrust our children with them. But now, as parents, we are asked to take, to a certain degree, a bulk of that responsibility. And I think a lot of parents are realizing that it's not as easy as they thought they were, and also uh, that they may not know as much as as needed to be able to make sure that the kids have um, meet the standards whenever they go back to school, real school. I posit, though, that in life, there is a heck of a lot more than what's taught at the school. And as important as that is, and I do think that it's paramount, there are a lot of things that we parents can teach our own and in a different way ensure that they will have a positive life outcome later on. What do I mean by that? I love art. I haven't, if, you know, give me an idea of a good time and that's going to a museum on the weekend to go check out, you know, some kind of new show that's available at any one of our museums here in Los Angeles. Um, I think we have gone to the, the majority of the ones that are available and many of them two times over. Some of them, like the Norton Simon Museum here in Pasadena, we've gone so many times that my children have, you know, honestly grown tired of it because it's you see the same pieces over and over again. Although I posit that sometimes you have to see the pieces many times to truly understand them, and that's why I don't mind going. And the fact that they have been growing up with them, I, I have, I, I want to say that one day that they are going to have a revelation that, oh my gosh, this is pretty wonderful stuff, and now I can read things of my own because I have my own life experiences. But I love art. And because I love art and because I'm the one with the keys, I have been driving my kids to museums for as long as they've been around in one way, shape, or form. Recently, because the days are getting long and, and, and the lockdown still, the lockdown with this COVID thing, uh, we haven't had the opportunity to go to, to our museums. And so I discovered on my own, and this is stuff that I watch because, again, I love documentaries and, and documentary-style information. I've been watching something on YouTube called the, uh, the Art Assignment. The Art Assignment. And it breaks down for you in like four to eight-minute chunks what is abstraction, what is minimalism. Uh, there was one for the case for nudity. There was another one on a, a videography and in and, 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 and installations that are so abstract that they d- kind of define whether they, you know, they, or, or challenge whether it's art or not, or if it's just a cube. Either way, we have been watching these clips one a day. You know, they're four-minute bits. And I realized that slowly I have been 
teaching my kids about the concept. I've incepted into them the concept of art. At least in more in a clinical sense. We haven't started talking about what they feel when they see a piece of art. But we were walking the dogs yesterday, like I mentioned, and we happened to go onto their school campus. And here in Monrovia, California, where I live, a lot of our schools have artworks. They have murals, very famous murals throughout all of our major uh, middle schools and our elementary schools, things that you would recognize. And here, uh, one of the schools close to us, there's a couple of murals of pop art. Warhol uh, pop art and we were watching that um, art assignment uh, episode Uh, one of them came up and the kids of course realized it right away and and they made the connection between that which they see on the screen and that which they walk by every single day and they didn't even know it and all of a sudden I saw it in their face like oh I know what that is and if we drove around uh, the different campuses, they would notice other things too. Because, again, we've incepted into them this knowledge of this artwork. And I realized that I am not a historian of art. Uh, to some degree, I understand it at a very elemental you know, level. I feel more than I understand it. Um, but... In my children, I'm thinking that I'm giving them the rudimentary knowledge that I have, at least the rudimentary access to to information that I have, and put something into them that in later years they're going to use. And I'm very proud of that. On a second note, we have been doing these uh, dramatic readings, I call them, and the kids, honestly, they don't like it. But... Because the days, again, are long, the lockdown's long, and you need to, you know, I don't want them sitting in front of a computer all day or a, a switch all day and playing games. We look for things to do, and I, I might have talked about this before, but we have been doing these readings. I have been buying off of online these plays. We started with uh, Romeo and Juliet, and we just didn't read the whole thing. We read, you know, the, the part where Romeo is at... Uh, you know, talking to Juliet on the balcony and they do that exchange and every single one of the, you know, we all took a part and we uh, read it together. And uh, the other day we did 12 Angry Men and I assigned, since it's only the three of us, my wife said work or else she would be part of it. But I assigned to the kids, the three, you know, three part, three of the men, I did three of the men, uh, my son did three of the other men and we all did the courtroom did the entire play together and I made sure that I my kids were assigned parts with the media's roles um, the different jurors the ones that are more adversarial towards each other if you've ever seen 12 Angry Men you know what I'm talking about and if you haven't seen it you really should because it's very it's it, it's very apropos to the times that we're living in in so many ways but they went back and forth and because it's an adult play, there's a little bit of cursing in there. So my kids were able to get away with cursing in this one instance because it's permitted. It's part of the play. And then after that, after we did the play, we watched um, 12 Angry Men, the, the old movie. We also did Streetcar Named Desire. We're doing that actually now currently. 
And what I thought was, what I wanted to do was reverse the roles in, in, in the sense that uh, my son is playing the part of Blanche DeVoy and my daughter is playing the, you know, the part of Stan Kowalski. And I step in and, and read along with them. And so they, they're having this, we're having this uh, conversation about the play and they're reading through the parts. But not only that, I, we also, because for whatever reason, actually for a very exciting reason that um, with HBO Plus, they have all the old Turner Classic movies, Streetcar Named Desire is on there. And so we've been able to read the play and watch the play. Looked at what Tennessee Williams intended and how uh, it changed. It, it was changed for the movie. And also just to see these performances, uh, Marlon Brando, and I forget the name of the of, of the gal that uh, the plane's Blanche Dubois, um, but just to see them understand these characters as they're portraying them, and then as the uh, as these actors portray them, and I think that's cool as shit. So when I was in high school, see that's that's where that's where that comes from. In high school, Mr. Campagna would sit us in classroom in, in our class, and we would all read the plays. And even though the other kids hated it, I loved it. I wanted to be Stan Kowalski. I wanted to be, again, not understanding the 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 complexities of the play. I wanted to be this massive masculine sexual force, and because I wasn't that in high school. And so the play allowed me to do that and to play that. And so I guess maybe, it, and, and so I know that that's where that was given into me. And that's why I want to pay it forward. Now the kids dread it. I, I will say that this is, it's not their favorite thing, but they also realize that this is important to that. So, okay, let's, let's do this shit because, you know, that is, that is making us. But I am hopeful, you guys, that in years later, that will all have a payoff. That they will, um, that they will, that something will click on, and they'll come to understand that this knowledge that they have been given, that is not the usual algebra and or or the typical math assignments that they have been asked to write. That somewhere, as they are producing their own content, as when they're having their own discussions, that they'll be able to draw from it, and that they'll be richer in person for it. I have this thing I do with my children where I'm always asking, where's this from? Who plays this? What's the band? And we do these quizzes throughout the day, mostly because I like doing them. But because it's very cool for me, for my children to say, oh, that's the Doors. Oh, that's the Rolling Stones. Oh, that comes from, uh, you know, uh, Patton. The Simpsons is a great uh place to, to, to play this game with because the Simpsons draw from everything. We were watching an episode just this week where Lisa Simpson, this is in the early, early seasons, I think season two or three, but she goes into a pageant and she loses, spoiler alert for a show that's 30 years old, but uh, she loses the pageant, but girl that wins it is struck by lightning and therefore Lisa has to assume the throne and she's being sworn in in front of the Simpson house and everybody's around it's a big ceremony and I stopped it 
and I you know went back on the on the video and I go take a look at this still image and they're like okay and then I go on to on my phone and I pull up LBJ's swearing in ceremony on the plane in Dallas right after the John F. Kennedy assassination. And I show it to the kids and then they look at the screen and they realize that the creators of The Simpsons had basically recreated that image. Um, in that image, it was a play on that. And they thought, okay, well, that's kind of, that's interesting. They didn't think much of it. I find that shit exciting and, and a fun find. It's an Easter egg, right? But again, my kids are middle schoolers. And they may not get it now. But I am hopeful that my theory, if they're built anything like me, and they, they have some part of it because my DNA is in there. If they're built anything like this in ye ye later years, they are going to be passing that on to their children, perhaps. But they will certainly have that as a reference point where they can go out there and at a, at a party look very, very smart. I may not be the world's best Spanish teacher. I don't know much about history. I don't know much biology. I don't know much about science books. I don't know much about the French I took. But I do know this. <laughs> I know that imagination and also in drawing from what I know and the desire to be a good parent, a good dad, is allowing me to build a curriculum for my children that they wouldn't get anywhere. And that's where I think a lot of you parents have an opportunity here. If you look at this time without teachers, relative, as an opportunity for you to shine and to really, really teach your kids what you care about, what's important to you, what you like to pass on, as long as it's not hate. I think this is the perfect time for you to do it. I don't know of any other generation in, in the last hundred years have had, had this much time for the parents themselves to instill as a society what they want in the next one. So think about the lessons that you want to teach and teach them. Peace.